Hi, I'm John Richardson. I taught at American University for a number of years, then at the National University of Singapore, and it's an honor to be able to uh, support Diane Rehm. When she concluded the Diane Rehm show in 2016, I was really sad, and when on my mind reappeared, why, I was delighted. If you would like to support this show, it's easy to make a gift at dianereem.org slash donate. Hi, it's Diane. On my mind, voting by mail. For many COVID-wary voters, mail-in ballots seem the safest way to participate in November's election. Many state and local governments around the country have embraced the approach. But questions remain as to whether the cash-strapped postal service will be up to the challenge. What's more, the Trump-appointed Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, made changes to USPS operations that could have interfered with mail-in voting. However, this afternoon, DeJoy walked back those changes and promised the Postal Service would function as needed for the election. Reporter Jessica Hoosman covers voting rights and election administration for ProPublica. She joined me with the latest. Jessica, the Postal Service has been handling absentee ballots in many states for years without any major issues. This year is likely to be different. Talk about why. So the Postal Service has been going under a couple of changes recently. Um, President Trump has long had a problem with USPS. Many people suspect that it dates back to his anger over the deals that he believes Amazon gets with USPS and his ongoing war with Jeff Bezos. Um, But whether they are founded or not, Trump has wanted to take a stronger hand with USPS. And so he has by appointing Mr. DeJoy as the head of USPS. And he has instituted a number of different changes that make it more difficult for the mail to arrive on time. Um, So we can sort of see how that might impact ballot delivery in November, especially since the number of states that are using mailed ballots is growing so significantly. Now, is it your understanding that Mr. DeJoy came in with those ideas in mind, or was he directed to make those kinds of changes? You know, I don't know that that's clear right now. Mr. DeJoy has a background in private shipping. That is how he made his fortune. That is what he is good at. Um, And so certainly these could be holdovers from his time in in private shipping and, and profit motives. But also, you know, I think that Trump, even before Mr. DeJoy came into the picture, was talking about cost-cutting measures at USPS and how much money he believed the USPS to lose every year. Um, and so I think that, that he likely came in with that mission. It's unclear to me exactly how it was formed. Fascinating to me to learn that DeJoy holds on to at least $30 million in XPO logistics a direct competitor to USPS. 
I wonder if there was any outcry at the time he was appointed specifically because his holdings are so large in the competition. That question was certainly raised. Um, I don't know that there was much of an opportunity because Mr. Trump has sort of unilateral authority to hire this person um, about its its propriety. But, you know, he will be testifying in front of the House on Monday of next week. And I think that that is likely to come up as, as a major topic. Um, and I would not be surprised if that took up a majority of the time that he spends testifying in front of the house and and I think you know in in recent months he is he's taken on additional shares of stock that that I think in my mind represent a clear conflict of interest um, and it will be interesting to me to see how the democrats in the house approach that topic so we're all concerned now about mail in ballots and the post office operations in states that have not had the experience of mail-in voting. What do you see happening there? So I think that states, even in the current environment, can still pull off a successful mail-in voting experience for voters. I, I think what is important to note is the numbers are so big that I think they're hard for a lot of people to conceptualize in their head. So the most number of ballots that will be mailed back in to the USPS, that will be mailed out to voters and mailed back in, is about 100 million. And just for comparison, the USPS handles about 8 billion parcels during Christmas alone. So this is a very doable thing for the USPS, even under current conditions, even under the restrictions that Mr. DeJoy has placed on the agency. What the states need to do in order to accommodate these changes is to make sure that they're actually giving voters enough time to apply for a ballot, get it, and return it by election day. And so there's a number of states that have problematic messaging around this. So for example, in Ohio, you can, and, and I believe Minnesota as well, the state allows you to request an absentee ballot up to the day before the election, which is obviously not realistic at all. Um, so, you know, you can't get a ballot mailed to you and mail it back and have that ballot be postmarked and arrived in time to be counted if you're allowing people to request ballots the day before the election. So, you know, having a deadline that suggests that you can request an absentee ballot that late will tell voters that they have enough time and give them the impression that that will leave enough time for their vote to be counted and it will not. And, and that's a little bit more difficult than it sounds, changing the language on the website to accommodate absentee ballots. Often these are written into law. So the legislature would actually need to change that. And so if that is the, a problem in your state, then the legislature should reconvene. Um, and, and I say that no, understanding the implications of it, but it, it does have the potential to disenfranchise a lot of people. And even if your legislature can't reconvene, what needs to happen is that the Secretary of State or whoever the chief elections official is in each state needs to start messaging now that the best way to do the election will be to request the absentee ballot as soon as requests are open and to return it as soon as you're comfortable with your votes, even if that's two or three weeks before the election. So here's the thing. I live in D.C. Sure. In the District of Columbia. And months ago, 
We got a notice saying, if you intend to vote by mail, you must fill out this form, send it back to us, and we will ensure that you get a ballot. Mm -hmm. And all of it happened very quickly and easily. Now, what you're saying could be separated by red states and blue states, Mm -hmm. and those blue states might indeed get those ballots out very quickly. Red states might hold them back. So there you are with the post office being right in the middle Mm -hmm. of all that. Right. And I, you know, I think that um, election administration does, does not fall as cleanly on partisan lines as I think a lot of people believe that it does. So, for example, one of the states that expanded mail-in voting most significantly was Georgia. And their state has allowed, and there, there, there are quite a few sort of very conservative red states that do vote by mail really well. So, for example, Utah is not exactly known for being blue and has has been a universal all-mail ballot state for quite some time. And another state that votes overwhelmingly by mail is Arizona. Um, Montana also overwhelmingly votes by mail. And these are all Republican strongholds. I think that election administration has become partisan in a way that it hasn't historically been. So I've been covering election administration since before the 2016 election. And in the last four years, it's become, politics has become much more my beat than it once was. Um, I used to be able to have the exact same conversations with Republican secretaries of state as I did with Democratic secretaries of state, because mostly it was about elections best practices. But now those best practices have become extremely partisan, and that's troubling to me. And so I, I, I don't know that that partisanship has sort of melted down to the election administrators at the level that would impact voters quite yet. Certainly it has in some places, but there are always going to be places like that. The county clerks are, are really who is most responsible for getting you your ballot and making sure that your ballot is collected, not necessarily state legislatures or the federal government. It's much about it's much more about the the closest person to you. In most places that's a county, sometimes that's a township, sometimes that's a municipality, but they're the ones actually physically sending the ballot to you and physically counting your ballot. And for the most part I find those people to be very like I mean they're just your typical good natured bureaucrat. Like they're just they have a job and they want to do that job. And so I think that Voters should assume that regardless of who their county clerk is, they will follow the rules that have been outlined for them in the state constitution or the state legislature or the state election code. All right. Now, I want to take you back to the Postal Service because the kinds of changes that DeJoy has brought into place seem to be making it more difficult for people to get their ballots in, even if they have them. Right. Um, They've collected more of the mailboxes. They've removed more of those mailboxes. They've apparently slowed down delivery in some areas. Now, tell me how that 
has happened? Is it because of layoffs? Is it because cutting back on overtime? What has he managed to do that will slow down the mail delivery? Right. I think that his his contributions here are very much policy related. So I think people are very, very focused right now on the removal of certain post boxes, those big blue boxes that you see on the street. Sure. Um, and then also the removal of certain um, sorting devices that, that large postal offices use. For the most part, those changes were scheduled to take place well before Mr. DeJoy became the head of the Postal Service. Because so, of... Because the USPS has been, in recent years, undergoing a lot of changes because this won't surprise any of your listeners. The mail has changed quite a lot in the last decade. Um, USPS now handles far fewer letters um, than they used to, and it's much more about package delivery. So a lot of the sorting machines that you see being removed or the mailboxes on the street just really aren't being used to the extent that would justify their presence. Um, and so the removal of those items doesn't necessarily trouble me at all. It's, it's simply part of the way that the USPS is adjusting to serve its customer base. To a certain extent, one of the things that's frustrated me about this moment is that the public's focus on those things because they're visible and you can have pictures and you can have a film footage of them in the background of a news shot carrying away something. Because of the focus on that, it's allowed the Trump administration essentially a, a PR move to pretend like they're not going to influence the Postal Service anymore. So Mark Meadows went on CNN's Jake Tapper show a couple of days ago and said, okay, well, we're going to stop all of this removal until the election is over. But those things were never going to affect the election. Those things were never going to use. And so what is actually going to affect the election is the policy changes that Mr. DeJoy is, is centrally responsible for making. Such as? Such as cutting overtime and making sure that you know multiple trips on the same route are not done each day. And so the, the post office used to have a policy that all of the mail that has to get delivered today is going to get delivered today. And that's going to happen either by you coming back after you're finished with your route and going back out again, or we're going to send someone else to deliver the rest of this mail. That's been the policy for ever. And he has changed that policy and said, if you don't finish your route in the time that you have, you have to finish it tomorrow. Or if mail comes in halfway through the day that needs to be delivered by the day, that day, it's not going to be. It's going to be delivered by the next day. And this, this policy change has already hit some parts of the country pretty hard in terms of mail delays. We have seen people across the country complaining about how slow their mail is. They can't find packages. They are lost. This, this is happening more in um, rural and suburban areas where the post office that, that sort of like the end pieces of the postal routes and not necessarily as much in, in clustered urban areas. And so, you know, you and I both can sort of like game out how that would work in the 2020 election. Um, if the mail is delayed now, it, there's a good chance that the mail is going to be delayed then. And so mm -hmm. what I would encourage your voters to do, if they are, in a place where and they have they have noticed that their mail is slower to arrive than it once was, then they need to sort of adjust for that in their behavior as a voter. They either need to send their ballot back, 
well before the election, like much sooner than the, the recommended time for mailing back a ballot from the USPS has always been seven days before the election. Um, that hasn't changed. I would say that I would, I would give yourself two weeks, honestly. Yes. And so, but then there are also other options. Every place that mails ballots generally also has drop boxes for those ballots. Um, they're very secure, large metal boxes that you can drive up to and deposit your check-in. But haven't some of those been removed? So some of them have been removed. And so that's an interesting thing to talk about. So drop boxes are great. You know, political scientists have found that they do have a marginal impact on voter turnout because they make it very easy for people to feel confident and that their ballot's going to be delivered and, and counted. And so people use them. I just want to, before we get into the removal, I, I kind of just want to describe what these boxes are. Um, so, you know, Probably most of your listeners have had some experience taking money out of an ATM. These boxes are very like an ATM in their security. It is almost just, you know, <laughs> fun fact about me, I know a lot about ATMs because my entire childhood, my father had a job installing and repairing them. So uh, I, I love comparing things to ATMs because I just have all these <laughs> funny stories about ATMs, but um, it is almost impossible to break into an ATM and people try all the time. Uh, the funniest story my dad ever told me was that he was called to the scene of a attempted robbery at one of the ATMs that he managed. The person had wrapped a chain around the ATM and then put that chain onto the back of his truck and then had driven off in a huge F-350 trying to like take the ATM. And what actually happened was that his bumper came off and he just left it there with his license plate and then drove off because he panicked. So he was arrested very quickly. But anyway, I tell you this very funny story to sort of represent how secure these things are because these boxes are built almost exactly like ATMs in terms of their physical security. Obviously, there are no buttons to push, but their physical security is very similar. They're generally hundreds of pounds. They are bolted to the cement below them. You know, I have talked to people who produce these boxes who tell me that like cars have run into them full speed and the ballots inside of them are fine. Um, so they're big metal boxes and, and there have been concerns in recent months. The Trump campaign, for example, part of their lawsuit in Pennsylvania is to remove these boxes because he says that they will lead to fraud. And there are a couple of weird sort of dreamy circumstances in which I suppose that could be true. One of the things that they say is that like, and he tweeted this out yesterday actually, which is that you know, nobody's watching these boxes. Who, who's to say that somebody's not going to climb in one and get your ballot? That's very difficult to do. Also, these boxes are generally secured and there's generally video surveillance. So that's unlikely to happen. But the other thing, and that Republicans have said this before, even before the 2020 election became as, as contentious as it is, that drop boxes allow people to collect other people's ballots and put them in there rather than, you know, dropping them off yourself and, and the mail is much better. I, I don't know why you couldn't mail someone else's ballot. Like, I, it's unclear to me why drop boxes make this worse. And I've never heard a compelling case that would allow me to believe that. But but people are sort of starting to complain about these. And, and I have seen a couple of these be removed in counties where 
it was probably a good idea to remove them where they were. They weren't in a good secure spot. They weren't accessible to voters. Um, but for the most part, I mean, even very deep red counties have drop boxes because people enjoy them um, and, and they like them. Jessica, what about in the recent primary elections? Didn't we see problems in Wisconsin and Michigan because they never received their absentee ballots. Right. We did. And, and you know, it is unclear to me, and I don't think that it will be clear for some time, how much of that delay was because of the Postal Service and how much of that delay was because elections offices literally could not handle the load. I think that it is the USPS in some ways has become a scapegoat for poor election administration practices. And that is not to say that the USPS does not deserve criticism because it certainly does. They have certainly dropped the ball in many respects in in recent months, especially in the midst of this pandemic. But election administration offices are in a really difficult spot. So I was talking to an election administrator who works in Wisconsin, um, in Madison. And she was telling me that, you know, You'll remember, this This feels like a year ago, but you'll remember just a few months ago when Wisconsin was sort of batting voters back and forth. They were saying, oh, no, the polls are going to be open. No, the polls are not going to be open. You have to vote by mail. Oh, wait, everybody can vote by mail. Get your ballots in right now. Like it, There was a lot of changes because the legislature didn't want to allow all vote by mail. And the governor waited a really long time to put out an executive order requiring that. And then the legislature overhauled it immediately. It was very confusing. And so what this led to was a lot of people in Wisconsin requesting absentee ballots. Because for years and years and years in Wisconsin, anyone at all has been able to get a mail-in ballot. They have no excuse absentee. If you want to mail your ballot in instead of showing up at the polls, you can. And so that allowed thousands and thousands and thousands of people to request their ballots all at once. Well, the clerk's office has to process those applications by hand. And so what this clerk told me was that they got so many applications that they actually had to bring in librarians because they didn't have the staff to do it. And so the librarians filled in as essentially clerks because the libraries were closed because of the pandemic. So the only way they processed those ballots was because they brought in additional staff. More of my conversation with Jessica Hoosman when we come back. My name's Nick Hartigan. I listened to The Diane Reem Show for many decades, and now my son is listening with me to Diane Reem on my mind. Makes me think of uh, when I listened to The Diane Reem Show with my mom. It takes a lot of work to produce a podcast like On My Mind. It gets made because of the members of WAMU. So if you love it, then you can support it. You can make sure it keeps getting made and you keep hearing Diane on the air. Make a donation at WAMU.org. Here's the rest of my conversation with Jessica Hoosman. She's the lead reporter for ProPublica's Election Land Project. Jessica, you and I were interrupted as we taped this recording this morning by technical problems. And since that time, in the interim, 
we have learned that not only are several states arguing that the Postal Service broke the law by making changes to the U.S. Postal Service without seeking approval from the Postal Regulatory Commission. And Mr. DeJoy has now said he's not going to make the changes that have been talked about. Wow, what a moving story. 2020 is never boring, and (laughs) that is is the case. So here's the question. Hasn't Mr. DeJoy already made those changes? So how does he now walk them back? So I think that the changes that he was making were always things that you could hit the stop button on at any time. You know, as I said previously, the blue mailboxes being removed and the sorters being removed didn't really alarm me at all, but that's something that can be stopped in its tracks reinstating the overtime and the ability for drivers to go back out on their route if there's still more mail to go out is what is the most crucial here. And certainly they will be dealing with backlogs from the last few weeks of not having done these things. But that should be able to be resolved by the time that the November election rolls around. And one of the things that Mr. DeJoy also said today was that he was going to think about distributing even more emergency resources if they do become overly burdened as the election approaches, which I think is a really smart option. I think, you know, the behind the scenes that Mr. DeJoy may not even appreciate is that the USPS and election officials have been working together for a really long time, especially in states that have heavy vote by mail to make sure that these processes are streamlined and standardized. And so, you know, you only have to build on that. There's no reinventing the wheel here. So we are in a good position. And I think that the new, that the changes are are only going to be positive. What do you think forced him, if I can use that word, to backtrack? You know, I think that it was the bipartisan outrage over the, the, the way that the post office had been ignored. And this is a unique thing in the Trump presidency. There are not very many other issues where he stakes out a claim as heavily as he did on, on the mail and on USPS and see Republicans fight back. And I, and I think that one of the reasons that this is different is because One of the populations that uses USPS the most and relies on it the most heavily is rural America, and rural America is Trump voters. So it's always sort of baffled me that this is the fight that he chose to pick, because really, the people who are voting by mail historically are older white voters who are retired, again, a very key Trump population, and rural America, also a very key Trump population. His opposition to U.S. case in general has always baffled me, um, but his opposition to vote my mail specifically has always baffled me, given how much his voters rely on it. And I, and I think that this was part of sort of a domino effect around vote by mail for Mr. Trump. So you'll recall that a couple of weeks ago, after days and days and days of saying that vote by mail was just the worst thing to ever happen to the country, that, oh, but wait, in Florida, it's fine. And that was self-serving because he votes by mail in Florida, Um, but also because so does every retired person in Florida and they're all voting for him. So, you know, I think that he's trying to 
have his cake and eat it too related to vote by mail. He's trying to make Democrats think that vote by mail is really bad and make Republicans think that it isn't. And I, I, I honestly, I don't know how you walk that line. And I think that this is just sort of part of all of that. So at this point, would you as a voter be totally comfortable with the announced walk back or would you still want to be very careful and make sure your vote gets in there early? I would still be really careful. You know, even if they're going to make sure to allow these changes to sort of be paused, that does not preclude them from making other changes, right? And and those changes can have a cascading effect. When you, when you talk about large logistics processes, any one small change could disrupt that entire ecosystem. For example? For example, if you eliminate the ability for a postal worker to do a second run, even if you are not barring them from some overtime, then that cascades because the packages get delayed and then there are more packages to get delivered out. So your voters should think about this like a traffic jam. One small thing needs to go wrong for hundreds of cars to be delayed. And as the traffic jam gets more backed up and more backed up and more backed up, it takes longer for that traffic to clear. Mail is not different. So the more mail that's piled up in these places, the longer any one piece of mail is going to take to get delivered. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had said she was going to bring back members of Congress to vote to block changes underway at the post office. Do you think that this will ward that off? And do you think all of that will now settle down more calmly? Or do you think she may still want to bring members of Congress back? I think that she'll still probably want to bring members of Congress back. I mean, Mr. DeJoy is testifying, I believe, on Friday um, related to these issues. And I don't foresee her saying, never mind, you did what we wanted, you can stay home now. Um, so I think the I think that that hearing is going to be really, really important because you know, the tone that Mr. DeJoy has struck at the USPS since he began has really been troubling to me. In the past, you did not hear a USPS head say things like, well, we'll just deliver what we can deliver. And basically, you get what you pay for, um, which, you know, I guess all of those things are true in, in, a, in a normative sense. But the tone is really striking because it, it just seemed that he didn't much care if, if ballots were treated differently than other mail. And that was one of the things that the USPS was really good about doing in, in elections past was distinguishing ballots from other mail. And so counties were told to make the ballots really obvious, to put the election seal on the ballot, to make sure that USPS knew what it looked like and could separate it and treat it differently from other mail, even if you as a voter didn't pay for first class return, it would essentially be treated like a first class package. And that wasn't going to happen under Mr. DeJoy, and it still could not. Um, so what I'll be interested in hearing in these hearings, I suppose, is the tone and if there's a shift in tone. And I know that that means so little, but what, we, what has been really striking under the Trump administration, and I'm sure that I'm not the first person to say this on your show, so many norms have been disrupted. And so, you know, we as a as a voting population are learning very quickly what things the U.S. government has done just because they did it 
and what the U.S. government has done because it is written into code. And Mr. Trump likes to do things very differently if, if it's not standardized and solidified. And, you know, one of the things that wasn't ever standardized or solidified or written into law was that ballots are treated differently by the USPS than other mail. That was just an informal arrangement that election administrators arrived at with USPS and that both parties were carrying out in good faith. It might be necessary to standardize some of those expectations um, just so that USPS can be held accountable um, for, for those actions later. Jessica, what about the issue of junk mail and the extent to which that has created so many problems within uh, the Postal Service and most especially for postal carriers themselves. The extreme increase in junk mail over the last few years has essentially been the only flat and envelope parcels that the USPS is, is continuing to deliver on a regular basis. And it's cheap. It's cheaper than first class mail. Right. And, and, you know, this is a really interesting problem that the USPS has because they give such wonderful bulk rates to the people who send out coupons and brochures that that it makes sense for them to advertise in that way. And it is also a huge source of revenue for the USPS. So on one hand, they're delivering a lot of junk mail and that takes a lot of time and attention. But on the other hand, it's one of the very few things keeping the USPS afloat. Like FedEx is not delivering junk mail. DHL is not delivering junk mail. It's all going through the USPS. So they have essentially a monopoly on that industry. And if it's taken away, it's hard for me to imagine how the USPS becomes solvent. And so it's not necessarily that the USPS can't deliver ballots. It's that the USPS under current leadership, doesn't see ballots as any more important than another type of mail. And it's just, you get what you pay for, right? So if these junk mail manufacturers are paying the USPS millions of dollars a year to give us things, um, and the USPS decides because they're making more money on that to prioritize those shipments over ballots, then that will be a problem. The USPS even with all of the junk mail that we have to deal with, does have the capacity. It's a matter of how it ranks in their internal thought process about what mail gets delivered when. So does that mean that somehow they're going to have to, especially for this election because of the COVID, prioritize ballots? Right. And that is what I will be waiting for a Democrat or hopefully a Republican, to ask Mr. DeJoy on Friday, which is, what is your standardized process for the treatment of ballots? And how can you assure that they are differentiated and prioritized over other types of mail? And notably, Mr. DeJoy's announcement today did not specify any of that. He simply said, well, the changes we're making right now, we're going to stop. But it's not clear what back and orders have been given around the treatment of ballots, which, uh, which is a process that's never been formally written into law. And so I would really love for Mr. DeJoy to go on record on Friday, establishing not just that ballots are important, but that ballots are important and will be treated differently than other mail. And so if he can easily and with some specificity 
attest to both of those things, then I, then I think that we'll all be able to breathe a little bit easier. But until that happens, I am just not convinced that this administration is going to treat mail ballots in the way that they should. But doesn't that require cooperation, as you said earlier, from the states themselves? It does. To get those out early enough and to have them distinguishable right. enough to be treated with priority. You know, today is August 18th, so we are exactly 31 days out from the first ballots being sent in the mail. So UACAVA, which is the uniformed overseas voters something, anyway, it's all of the military that lives overseas, that is the day by federal law that their ballots must be mailed to them. And that is often the day that states choose to mail ballots to everyone. Because if you can mail one ballot, then you should just mail them all, right? So we're in a a month from essentially today, we're going to see voters start to get ballots um, in the mail very quickly. And that's going to be a really important deadline. Like what happens between literally tomorrow and a month from then is going to be extremely important. So that's when states are going to start sending ballots out. There are some states that will hold domestic ballots for a couple of weeks longer to give themselves more time, um, but that they don't have to. So they should send them out as soon as they can, which will allow voters an extraordinary amount of time to get their ballots back. And, you know, you and I talked earlier in the podcast about states where the deadline to request your ballot is only a day or two days before the election. Crazy. This has been a problem for years. And election administrators and election experts have been asking states repeatedly, please change this deadline to be more in line with appropriate postal expectations. And the reason that states don't do that is because they're afraid that they're going to get called vote suppressors. So you can think about in a state like Ohio, which has long been accused of doing objectively suppressive policies that that inhibit the right of people to vote, their deadline for requesting a ballot is like the Saturday before election day or something. Obviously, that's never going to happen. But what legislators say, because they have to be the ones that change it, is, well, I'm not going to write that bill because think about how that will look. If I say, oh, you have five fewer days now to request your absentee ballot, then that's five fewer days that you get to vote and I'll be called a vote suppressor. I mean, that's, you know, that's a political fear that is very real and and likely would happen. I have another question. Do those who vote by mail have any way to check as to whether their vote has been counted? Yes, usually they do. And so the states where vote by mail is common, and even states like Kentucky, where it's very new, have been introducing ballot tracking software. Um, This is really easy for states to implement because it is an off-the-shelf software product that they don't don't have to build. They can just buy um, and link up to their voter registration system. And it allows you to see it's sort of, I mean, USPS does this as well, right? It's it's like tracking a package in the mail. Sure. You log on and track your package, right. and see exactly where it is. And, and that is one of, I think, the most interesting security advancements in vote by mail. Because, you know, let's think about, for example, 
the scandal that happened in North Carolina 9th in 2018, right? When we saw Dallas McRae, a political consultant, go out and collect people's ballots and then manipulate them or throw them away or whatever that man did with those ballots. Anyway, that probably would have been caught a lot sooner if people had ballot tracking. Because even if they chose to give it to him, right? If a, if a political operative comes to your door and says, I know that you voted by mail, I'd be glad to deliver your ballot for you. And you decide to trust them and you give your ballot to that person. When that person turns it in, you'll be able to tell because they'll scan it in and they'll say this ballot has been received. And then when it's counted, it'll say this ballot has been cast and counted. If that doesn't happen, then you as a voter can call and say, hey, I gave my ballot to this dude sure. and he hasn't turned it in. And they will either say, let me contact him and then get your ballot. Or you can have your ballot trashed and cast another one. But those things will only matter if people are voting early enough that they have time to catch the problems after they happen. So... There have been a number of warnings that with all these folks voting by mail, we may not know the results until weeks after. And the president yesterday or day before said, or even years after the vote has taken place, what the result is. Are you continuing to worry about that? The, the messaging around this is really confusing. So the results that you and I know on election night are in fact not the official results. Canvassing in many states doesn't happen until days or in California weeks after the election happens. So, I mean, that's why it, it's not an accident of history that we elect the president in November and they are not sworn in until the middle of January. Because Everybody knows that it takes a long time to count ballots and it takes a long time to audit and it takes a long time to make sure that the result that we announce on election night is in fact the real result. So there is historically this sort of a built-in waiting window. And the problem has become, because everybody has been so used to getting instantaneous results on election night, they think that any delay to those results is not warranted and is a sign of fraud. And that's never been true. We don't have official results back for a really long time. The difference this year is that we're not even probably going to have unofficial results on election night because so many people are voting by mail. So it may be that we have to wait a few days if the election is close. If the election is not close, then we likely will know the results very quickly. But if the election is close, it's going to take a few days. And election administrators and honestly, elected officials need to start normalizing that for people. They need to start telling people right now that it doesn't really matter what state you're in, you're probably going to wait a couple of days for the election, and that's normal, that's fine. Um, California does a really good job of this. You know, it, it often takes a really long time in California to get ballots back because so many of the counties are doing it by mail and they have lots of different counties doing things very differently. So statewide results in California are often quite delayed. And the politicians in California honestly do a really excellent job of normalizing that expectation for voters. And I think that just Good. needs to happen for more, for more voters. One final question. I wonder, Jessica, whether we're seeing, because of this pandemic, a complete shift in how we vote. Do you think that the next elections are all going to be by mail? 
I think that it'll take a couple of years for us to get to complete vote by mail. But I think that once Americans have cast their first ballot um, through the mail, it's going to be difficult for us to get them to not want to do that again. Um, You know, in the states that have switched to universal vote by mail. I got Oregon and Wisconsin. Washington. Oregon, Oregon and Washington, and, Washington. Uh-huh, and Colorado and Utah and Hawaii. And as of this year, you know, there are a couple of more states that we can add to that list, like California. But vote by mail is going to increase regardless of what state you're in. And, and I think even in a state like Texas, where there's no no excuse absentee. So unless you have a excuse written into law and COVID-19 is not one of them, you cannot vote by mail. But if you're over the age of 65, you can for any reason. Texas, Alaska, a lot of states have this very strange distinction. I guess 65 plus people are much less likely to commit fraud. I don't know. Anyway, um, we will see in Texas a significant increase in vote by mail, even if it is only the population over 65 that has chosen not to vote by mail in elections past, because so many of them are going to be concerned about going on public and doing things if they don't have to. And so, you know, I, we're going to see an expansion regardless. I think people are really going to like it. Like historically, when people have moved to vote by mail, they they're a their likelihood to vote goes way up. Their attitude about the voting process is improved. You can see that in a number of studies that have been done in any of those five states. You know, Utah isn't exactly known for being a liberal center, and they love vote by mail, love it. And so I think that there, there's really no partisan distinction on convenience, right? So once we realize how convenient voting could be, it's going to be really difficult for us to like you know, pull that string back. Like that bell can't be unrung. So um, I think I think states are gonna are gonna ease up on their restrictions on on absentee balloting after this year. Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners before we go? Yeah, you know, one thing that I really like to tell people is that it is almost certain that your voting experience will be fine. Um, you know, it is it is statistically unlikely that you will experience a problem that prevents you from voting. Uh, and so it is important that voters go into election season understanding what could happen, but not believing that it will. Because we don't, I don't want to encourage anyone to not vote or to substantially change the way that they choose to vote. The average voter is very likely to request an absentee ballot, get it, return it, and have it be counted. Or the average voter is very, you know, will likely go to the polls and not wait in line very long and cast a ballot with a mask on and some gloves and also be fine. Um, But if things do happen, then you have to know how to deal with those things. So, you know, one thing that you hear activists say before, especially federal elections, is that you need to make a plan to vote. And in elections passed, what that's meant is make sure that you're registered well before the registration deadline. Make sure that you ca- like make sure that you know exactly where your polling location is and make sure that you go with enough time before the polls close to cast your vote and make a plan for like where you're going to keep your kids for that day or how you're going to get off work. Like make those plans now. That advice is still relevant, but the way that you make the plan is going to be different. So you need to start earlier than you otherwise would because you might have to rely on the mail. You need to make sure that you know when the deadline for having your ballot 
postmarked is, um, which is different in every state. And you also need to make sure that you know when the ballot must be received in order to be counted. In some day, in some states, that's the day of the election. In some states, that's a week later, um, as long as it's postmarked by election day. It can arrive late and still count. But So you need to make adjustments based on the requirements in your state. And if you're planning on voting in person, then finding out what your precinct is right now probably won't help you because the pandemic is moving so fast that there, that polling locations are also moving. You might be assigned a location that is shut down because the pandemic is still raging or, you know, your poll worker that is assigned to that location might get sick and they can't open that poll after all and have to collapse the polls into two. And so the better question to ask yourself is, do you know the right resource to find your polling location the day before you vote? And that's probably your, your local election officials website. Jessica, thank you so much. Thank you. Great to talk with you. You as well. That was Jessica Hoosman. She's the lead reporter for ProPublica's Election Land Project helping newsrooms across the country cover ballot access issues. Thanks to those of you who've reached out to let me know what you'd like me to cover during this very difficult time. Please continue to let us know what's on your mind. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email, drpodcast at wamu.org. Our theme music is composed by Jim Brunberg and Ben Lansford of Wonderly. The show is produced by Rebecca Kaufman, Allison Brody, and Sandra Baker. Our engineer is Mike Kidd. Thanks for listening, all. Please do wear those masks and stay safe. I'm Diane Reed.